0: Our New Testament reading today comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse number 17. Listen once again to the Word of God. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, "I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the one coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. as some of you are aware my wife Deb and i met when we were in graduate school Uh, the first two years we were just pals we hung out in the same company of friends we went out as a group together but somehow toward the end of our second year of seminary i discovered that she had gender and i'd never really realized that she had gender before Uh, suddenly she just looked different and sounded different we had our first date on a warm Tuesday evening in May of 1986 do any of you remember the ground round we went to the ground round we had popcorn for an appetizer then we ate cheeseburgers for dinner and then we went back to our dorm rooms it was the week of final exams I got back to my dorm room around eight o'clock, closed the door and sat down at my desk to prepare for my Hebrew final the next day. But my head was spinning. I looked at my Hebrew vocabulary cards and I thought about Deb. I reviewed declensions and conjugations and I, guess what, thought about Deb. I opened up the Hebrew text and flipped through it and I, guess what? thought about Deb. Now, that wouldn't have necessarily been a challenge had I kept up with the work. The first semester, I aced Hebrew. The midterm, I aced Hebrew, but have any of you ever been to Princeton in the spring? It is beautiful, and my friends and I were having so much fun playing basketball. Who really needed to go to class? Who really needed to do all that homework and my plan was to do as I had done on other occasions to stay up all night and just cram and review and review and review. But I looked at this Hebrew and I thought about Deb. After 30 minutes of frustrating futility, I pushed it aside, got on my bed, and I watched George Papard in the A-Team that night. I went into the Hebrew final that next morning cold not having looked at it since March. It was not a pretty sight. There's an old phrase, an old saying that goes, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. I wish I had taken that advice. I wish I had kept up with the Hebrew throughout the semester, but I did not. Do you think Jesus believed the wisdom of those words? Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Do you think Jesus would ever heed those words? (laughs) No, not at all. And if you're wondering why, consider our scripture reading this morning. John says that a certain man was ill. Well, that's a bit of an understatement. Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary were dear friends of Jesus. At the beginning of the story, John says about Mary, Mary is the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and then dried his feet with her hair. Why is John telling us this? This is the beginning of chapter 11, and Mary does not anoint him till chapter 12. What is John doing? John is raving his creative pen in the air and telling us, pay attention to his death, his cross. Pay attention to the cross. And in case we miss it, John even points out Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. Jer- Jer- Jerusalem? What, what, what happened in Jerusalem? Ah, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. The cross, John is telling us. As you read about Lazarus and the events that are unfolding here, think about the cross. Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Jesus said, we're going to wait right here. For this is for God's glory, and the Son of Man shall be glorified through it. What? Jesus, you just found out that the man whom you love, Lazarus, is dying, and now you're spouting off some kind of theological doctrine, and you're going to stay here? Go! If if one of you were to receive a phone call, and the person on the other end said, your closest friend in the world is at lennox hill hospital she's dying the family wants to see you are you going to say um maybe i'll get around to it tonight maybe tomorrow no of course not you're going to drop everything you're doing and go over to the hospital as soon as possible but jesus doesn't do that jesus there's, there's a code blue in bethany stop talking about theology get over there and see your friend. But Jesus waits two days. And those two days make all the difference in the world. By the time he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. We don't know how long the journey was from his location to Bethany. As he approaches the village, the sister Martha meets him on the outskirts. They have sent word to him, Jesus, please come, and he didn't come. Martha meets him on the outskirts of the village and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know, I know God will give you whatever you ask of him. Oh, she she sounds kind of calm when you read the words, but read between the lines. And you can see that she is incredibly angry and resentful and bitter. Jesus, if, if, If you had been here, but you weren't here, were you? Some friend you are. Really, Jesus? Martha. Martha, your, your brother will rise again. But Martha's too consumed with her grief. Oh, yeah, right, I know, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus looks at her, and something about the way Jesus looks at her grabs her attention, and she looks at him, and Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Martha gets it. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the one that's coming into the world. Mary then joins them of the outskirts of town and Mary asks the same question that Martha asked she says the same thing lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and she too is angry and consumed with disappointment and bitterness and grief with Martha Jesus says i am the resurrection and the life and something about those words and his presence spoke deeply to her, but sometimes, have you ever noticed in some situations in life, in, in some situations, words are just not enough. We need something more. Jesus looks at Mary, and the, John tells us that Mary and the friends and family members that had gathered there were crying. They were weeping. And something about their pain and grief got inside of Jesus and he ain't done his pain and grief. John says that Jesus is deeply disturbed in spirit and greatly moved. But one eminent New Testament scholar has translated this verse as well. He shuddered, moved with the deepest emotions. Jesus is moved deeply, viscerally, powerfully, but not simply with sorrow and sadness. The text suggests that Jesus is angry, he is enraged at the power of evil and suffering and death. He, of course, he is crying. The text says he weeps, but he is so filled with rage at the brokenness of the world. Where have you laid him? He's over here. And they show him. They show Jesus where Lazarus is. And the shortest verse in all of scripture then comes up, Jesus wept. That's how much Jesus loved his friend. He really and truly loved his friend. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus emerged from the crypt. Jesus really loved Lazarus. But why then the delay? What's Jesus talking about when he says, this is for God's glory, and so that the Son of Man might be glorified through it? For if Jesus had gotten there on time, he could have healed Lazarus. And if he had healed Lazarus, he and the two sisters could have enjoyed all kinds of time together and laughed and told stories. And if he had healed Jesus and they enjoyed all this time and stories, Jesus never would have cried and yelled out. Jesus never would have gone to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. All the people who had gathered there would never have believed in Jesus if he had healed Lazarus because they believed since he raised Lazarus from the dead. And if he had gotten there on time and healed Lazarus, that sinister plot to take his life would not have launched. And that's the point. In the Gospel of John, the event that galvanizes the movement against Jesus is the Lazarus event. When he raised Lazarus from the dead and the people believed, the religious leaders, as religious leaders do, began to scheme and plot and conspire to take his life. John 11:53. 53. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. That's what John has been trying to tell us throughout the story. Remember how John described Mary early on? She's the one who anointed him for his death. Remember how John goes out of the way to say, Bethany is it's only two miles away from Jerusalem. This story is not about Jesus and his love for his friend. This story is about God and God's love for the world. This story is not about the life of Lazarus. It's about the death of Jesus. This story, well, this story is not about us. This story is about God. And that, that might be very, very difficult for us to comprehend. In a wonderful essay entitled, Missional Witness, Lois Barrett laments the pervasive individualism that has possessed our North American culture. She says, church becomes defined apart from community in terms of individual choice, individual morality, individual self-actualization, and individual decisions about where to obtain the best spiritual goods and services. All too typical, she continues is the woman who, after attending worship and disliking the sermon, asks her visiting friend, Now tell me, what did you get out of that worship service? The woman is taken aback when her friend replies, That's not a question I ask myself. I ask myself, did this community of God's people worship God today? Barrett continues, It never occurs to many people to define worship in terms other than meeting individual needs, or to put God, rather than personal satisfaction, at the center of worship. I think old John would nod his head in agreement. John 11 confronts us with a hard lesson about following Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is not about me, and it's not about you. It's about who God is and what God is doing in the world. Martha and Mary, we feel your pain. But the gospel is not about you and Lazarus. The gospel is about God's love for each and every man, woman, and child on this planet. Lazarus, the gospel is not even about you. It's about God's power to bring life out of death, and we can fill it in. Patrick, put your name in there. It's not about you either. It's not about your individual wants and desires. It's not about your personal satisfaction. It's about serving God to the best of your ability in this time and place. I think this is Terribly, terribly difficult for us to grasp because it is a paradox. The paradox is that the gospel is not about us, and because it's not about us, the gospel is for us. In this Advent season... We rejoice in great anticipation that Jesus is the one, as Martha puts it, who is coming into the world. But ask, ask, what is Christmas all about? And many people in our society, perhaps many in our churches across this land, will say, well, Christmas is about family time. It's about spending time with friends and getting together and eating and drinking and feeling nice and warm and good. And I do know, I enjoy that too. There is a sliver of truth to it. But my friends, that is a fundamental perversion of the gospel. Christmas is not about us. It's about what God is doing in the world, coming in human flesh to heal the sick and challenge systems of hatred and oppression and welcome the outsider and turn upside down our values and our priorities. Christmas is about Jesus opening our eyes to behold and celebrate the full humanity of those we despise and criticize, whether they are the lowly shepherds of the first century or the impoverished of the 21st century who struggle every day with food scarcity and inadequate health care. Christmas is about God shattering our assumptions about what makes the good life good by associating with the wrong kind of people. Christmas is about our grieving God who stands with grieving families and rages at the power of death in our world, whether it's the death of his friend Lazarus or the death of tens of thousands of his friends in Ukraine, massacred by Russian missiles, or the deaths of 107,000 of our fellow citizens who perished last year from drug overdose. Christmas is about this strange God whose family is forced to flee, forced to flee to Egypt because their very lives are threatened by a political hack consumed by lust for power for whether their name is Herod, or George Wallace, or Lester Maddox, or the former governor of my state, Strom Thurmond, or Ron DeSantis, or Greg Abbott. Christmas threatens the rule and ambition of all politicians who use people as pawns and disregard human beings as disposable. Christmas, Christmas is about this stubborn God who refuses to give up on us, this God who stands outside the sealed tombs of our lives and shouts and screams and commands us to come out. And so, so my friends, today, if, if, you, if one of you here today or one of you who are watching us online, if you are struggling with addiction, listen again to the words of Jesus, Lazarus come out. If you are trapped in a home of domestic violence, listen again to Jesus. Lazarus, come out. If you suffer from mental illness and the stifling solitude of despair, listen again to Jesus. Lazarus, come out. Are you ever assaulted by the rhetoric of hate in our society? Has the color of your skin? Or the accent in your voice? Or the orientation of your sexuality? Or the nature of your gender? Ever led you to hide and hunker down? To conceal who you really are, even from your closest friends and family? Then remember again, jesus words lazarus come out jesus says i am the resurrection and the life those who believe in me will never die martha do you believe this martha says yes lord i believe that you are the one the one coming into the world my friends listen to martha listen to martha she is right Christ is coming into the world, and the world will never be the same. Amen.